0: CHAPTER ONE OF CUT BY THE COUNTY This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Adrienne Prevost. CUT BY THE COUNTY OR GRACE DARNELL BY MARY ELIZABETH BRADDON UNDER A CLOUD in English landscape. It seemed to Weldon Stukeley that he had seen nothing so beautiful for the last seven years, and yet he had been where nature had lavished her richest colouring, her grandest forms he had been a sojourner in the ancient world the cradle of civilization of religion language science art poetry and war the immemorial east from which antique greece with all her glory was but an offshoot he had been a traveller in the himalayas had looked upward at the unapproachable summit of mount everest and now as the little hired lando from scadley station came round a curve in a wooded road and the village green with its pond and herd of lazy kine drinking breast-deep in the shining water its old inn and horse-trough and sign-post and three fine elms spreading their broad shadows on the patch of grass between the porch and the highway and the labourers in their russet brown frocks lounging on the stout oaken bench in front of the rough-cast wall it seemed to the returning traveller as if this simple rustic english landscape this little picture of homely village life surpassed all the loveliness of the tropics and yet it was such a commonplace scene, a scene we all know, which needs perhaps the glamour of a summer sunset, the feeling of eventide repose, to make it beautiful. Thank God for England, said Colonel Stookley, as he looked at the village green. While he was looking back at it, the fly drove in at the gates of Darnall Park, and a large matron was curtsying and smiling at him, at the gate of her tiny lodge garden, a garden so crammed with flowers as to leave no room for the sole of a foot. How do you do, Mrs. Drabble, said the Colonel heartily, as to an old friend? As young as ever, but not any thinner, I see. Mrs. Drabble laughed and shook her head. She had been a slim slip of a girl once upon a time, but it was so long ago that she had forgotten the sensation. Darnell Park was one of those places which leave within the mind an impression of perfect beauty, especially when seen for the first time in the summer sunset. It was full of fine old timber, and had all those undulations and inequalities of surface which make a domain picturesque. The house was as old as Sir Christopher Wren, a delightful age for a country gentleman's mansion, as it allows of lofty ceilings, spacious rooms, plenteous light and air. Fine old oaks and beeches dotted the broad sweeps of grass, plantations of larch and douglas fir sheltered the park from the outer world, while on one side of the house there was a wide expanse of broken ground, a region of deep hollows and craggy banks, mighty thickets of rhododendron and azalea, which Colonel Stookley called the jungle. He was an expected guest at Darnall, but he had arrived by an earlier train than that by which he was supposed to travel, hence the hired fly, and hence also the fact that on alighting at the hall door he was told apologetically by Purden, the old butler, that Sir Alan and Lady Darnall had not yet returned from their drive." "'There was a flower-show at Walton, Colonel, and Sir George and my lady were obliged to be present. Your rooms are ready, Colonel. Shall I show you to them at once, or would you like to see Miss Darnall first? She is in the morning-room expecting you.' "'Miss Darnall,' cried the Colonel, eagerly. "'Miss Grace, you mean?' "'No, sir, Miss Darnall, Sir Allan's sister, Colonel. I believe from a strict point of view,' added the butler, gravely, deliberately, apologetically, "'our own young lady is Miss Darnall, but Sir Allan's sister would never give in to it. I should never have the pluck to allude to her as Miss Dora.' Purdon was an old military servant of Sir Allan's he had known the colonel when stukely and darnel were brother officers and felt himself privileged to chatter oh said the colonel sir allan's sister is in the morning-room as if the reminder of that lady's existence came upon him somewhat like a shock yes i will go and see miss Darnell before i go to my room my man will bring my portmanteau one presently i was in too great a hurry to wait for him He followed Purdon along the corridor and into one of those gracious, homelike interiors which are the slow growth of generations, panelled walls mellowed by time, old Sheraton furniture, old Indian china, flowers in profusion, and on a scarlet Japanese table by the window an old-fashioned mahogany tea-tray with brass handles, a George II teapot, and cups and saucers fresh from the royal factory at Worcester. Beside the tea-table, with her face toward the door, smiling, expectant, sat a lady whose aspect was certainly not calculated to repel or to alarm any man. She was a little woman, fragile, gracefully fashioned, with a small face, delicately tinted, light brown hair, and dark brown eyes. Fine eyes, penetrating, just a little imperious. The distinguishing feature in a face which might otherwise have been insignificant. She was daintily dressed in a pale gray gown of some soft gauzy material, the low tints of which harmonized exquisitely with her delicate complexion. Colonel Stukely knew that she was eight and thirty, but a stranger would as easily have believed that she was only eight and twenty. Happy result of having taken the utmost care of oneself under all the varied circumstances and agitations of life. She welcomed the traveller with a gentle cordiality, a little touch of suppressed emotion which ought to have been delightful to any man. But the colonel was not enthusiastic. He had thanked God for the English landscape just now, but he had not the air of thanking God for Dora Darnall. He seated himself in the low, reposeful chair she suggested to him. He took the offered cup of tea from her hand, but he was not demonstrative of delight in their meeting. "'I dare say you are rather surprised to find me here, in Permanence,' she said, after Alan's marriage the colonel looked embarrassed for a moment or so and then his natural gallantry came to his aid i am surprised to find you still miss Darnell. our unworthy sex has been singularly blind to its own best interests your sex has not been neglectful of my claims colonel answered the lady laughing i have had opportunities of changing the name of darnel which i honour for other names for which i do not care a straw But I am not one of that silly herd of women who marry because they would rather be called Misses than Miss, who want a house of their own, forsooth, which is only another word for a burden of their own, a grinding care that shortens the lives of half the women in England. I am always angry when a girl, newly engaged to a man with nothing a year, talks to me of the delight of her having a house of her own. No, I am too contented with my fate as Dora Darnall ever to wish to change that name for another. I am so glad, the colonel blurted out, unawares, for he had been troubled seven years with a lurking suspicion that Miss Darnall meant to marry him. "'I am so really glad you appreciate Alan's fine character and that you are happy under his roof. "'It assures me upon one rather delicate point, namely that you and the new wife get on nicely together.' Dora Darnell's face hardened for a moment, and then grew placid again. She had a sweet smile, a very sweet smile, but it was an idea of some physiognomists that the smile was too deliberately sweet to be quite genuine. "'Lady Darnell and I get on admirably,' she said. She found me the mistress of this house, possessing my brother's entire confidence as administrator of all household affairs, and, finding that everything went as if by machinery, she was good enough—not to oust the engineer. She showed herself wise as well as amiable by taking that line," interrupted the colonel, returning his cup for a second supply. She certainly acted with discretion, returned Dora, for I do not think the poor thing had ever seen the inside of a well-appointed house before she came to Darnall. "'That's rather rough on her,' said the colonel. "'Do you mean to say that your brother has married a person who is, well, not quite a lady?' I do not go so far as that, Colonel Stookley, but my brother has married a woman of very charming manners whose antecedents are a profound mystery to me and all of our little town in Wiltshire. The colonel looked grave, distressed even. His old friend had been reticent about all the details of his new alliance, had only told his comrade that he had married one of the noblest of women, and that he was utterly happy in his marriage. That might mean anything or nothing. Every man thinks the woman of his choice the noblest of women, more especially if she is under a cloud when he marries her. Every man is utterly happy in his marriage for the first six months. So argued that old soldier, Weldon Stukeley. "'Do you mean that Lady Darnall is not received?' he gasped, after a pause. "'She is received, but she is not liked,' answered Dora, leaning her pretty chin on her tapering hand and looking the image of disinterested consideration. "'People are cold. You know what county people are, how suspicious of any outside their own set, any one not reared from their own soil, whose life they have not known from the cradle. People have been told absolutely nothing about Lady Darnall. We do not know who her own people are, or who her husband's people were.' She appears to be an isolated person, without a relative or a friend. Clare, widow of Captain Stewart, no regiment, no locality, nothing to identify that one particular Stuart, among the multitude that bear the name. That was all the advertisement of her marriage told the county. That is all I, Allan's sister, have ever been told about his wife. Can you wonder that the county people will not take to her? I can wonder at their stupidity, if Lady Darnall is half as charming as I imagine her to be, protested the colonel warmly. She is very charming. Perhaps if she was less attractive, people would be less curious, less inclined to suspect evil. "'So handsome a woman ought to be able to reveal her antecedents, or else—she is your brother's wife, Miss Darnall. You at least ought to respect her,' said the Colonel, waxing angry. "'My dear Colonel, why fly into a passion?' exclaimed Dora, innocently. "'You have asked me questions, as an old friend of my brother's, and I have answered them frankly. Another time I shall know how to be diplomatic. There is one fact I gather from your answers, and that is that you are at one mind with the county in not liking Lady Darnall. "'Was there ever such a man for jumping at conclusions?' said Dora. If this is the way you Indian officers treat your sepoys, no wonder they sometimes mutiny. Pray, have I said that I don't like Lady Darnall? Well, perhaps not in so many words. Suppose we change the subject, and you tell me about my little Gracie, my goddaughter and plaything. I hope I am to see her this evening. I expect her every minute. There is a tennis tournament at the vicarage, and she is one of their best players, could not possibly be dispensed with, or she would have been at home to welcome her godfather. You will find her much improved, I think. Not improved out of her own self, I hope. "'My dear little robin goodfellow in petticoats, "'the wildest, merriest lass, "'and the pluckiest little horsewoman in richer, "'don't tell me that you have made a regulation young lady of her. "'We have done our best to make her a lady, Colonel, "'however you may disapprove of the transformation. "'She ran wild at Darnall for a year after Allan's marriage. "'Lady Darnall was ridiculously indulgent, "'quite the cleverest policy in a stepmother. "'She let the girl do just what she liked, "'and Grace would have become the scandal of the neighbourhood "'for her free and easy manners and want of cultivation "'if I had not interfered. "'Oh,' said the Colonel, "'you interfered, did you?' it was my duty as grace's nearest female relative at my suggestion my brother took her to madame sartori's finishing school at passy it is hardly to be called a school madame sartori is a most accomplished woman who takes few pupils a chosen few only girls of good family are received and they are trained under the madame's own eye i was educated by her myself and i can vouch for her care and vigilance poor gracie i can fancy her under madame sartori's vigilant eye a wild wood-flower imprisoned in a wardian case i can imagine madame sartori elderly snuffy suspicious poor Gracie, and how long was she subjected to the Sartorian process? She spent two years in Paris with occasional holidays at home. The result is eminently satisfactory to Sir Alan. And are Grace and her stepmother still good friends? They are, or pretend to be, intensely fond of each other. I cannot imagine Grace pretending anything unless Madame Sartori's process has made her a new creature. Madame Sartori has transformed a hoyden into a young lady. "'Oh, what a pity,' sighed the colonel. England swarms with young ladies, but your true hoyden is a rare growth, a plant that can only flourish in the genial soil of a happy home, a gracious flower that withers under the breath of the schoolmistress. I am heartily sorry you ever sent my Gracie to school. I hate girls' schools. Madame Sartorius could hardly be called a school, repeated Miss Darnell. I was under her care myself, and I ought to know the value of her training. Colonel Stookley looked at the speaker curiously. Yes, she was undoubtedly the outcome of the carefulest training, moved, spoke, smiled by rule, could enter or leave a room gracefully had no awkward tricks of speech or deportment. Played a little, sung a little, danced elegantly, spoke French and Italian with perfect intonation, a precision in all things. Trained too fine, thought the colonel. Just then a light, swift figure flitted across the lawn and bounded in at the window, a figure all in white, soft white woolen stuff, bordered with pale blue, the most charming thing in tennis frocks. This was Grace Darnall, a tall slip of a girl, with sunny, hazel eyes and rippling auburn hair, lovely mouth and perfect teeth, other features, inoffensive, a true English type. "'Gracie,' said the Colonel, after he had taken both her hands and shaken them heartily for a minute or so, contemplating the fair young face with fatherly affection. "'Gracie, they tell me you have grown into a young lady, and that my little Robin Goodfellow is gone.' "'Then they have not told you the truth, Godfather. I shall always be Robin Goodfellow for you,' answered the girl, smiling at him. And then, after a little pause, she said, "'I am so glad you are come home, more glad than I can tell you.' She said this with an earnestness which half-suggested some hidden meaning." The colonel looked at her scrutinizingly with his keen, kind eyes, eyes that had looked just as steadily in the face of mutiny and murder in the days that were gone. Miss Darnall had glided from the room, and they two were alone together. "'Why, Grace, that sounds as if you were not quite happy,' he said anxiously. "'Who is quite happy in this world?' retorted Grace, with a touch of petulance. "'It is an impossible condition. We are told in church every Sunday that we are not intended to be happy, though why we should be born for the express purpose of being miserable is more than I am able to understand. But I am very happy at having you back again, Godfather,' there is no alloy to that gold. My dearest child, do you not suppose that I am just as glad to return? And now tell me everything. Remember what changes have taken place since I last saw Darnall, and that I come back to you a stranger in knowledge of your domestic affairs, though no stranger in feeling. Tell me about the stepmother. Hush, Godfather, we never use the qualification step before the word mother. I call Lady Darnall my mother, and by no other name. She is the first woman who ever gave me a mother's love. You know that my own dear mother died when I was a baby, and that I have only her picture to love. There is no disloyalty to her in being fond of my new mother. Then Lady Darnall is nice, that is a grand point. Lady Darnall is simply perfect as wife and mother, and before you have been in this house twenty-four hours you will be over head and heels in love with her. Father won't be angry, he is too proud of seeing her admired. I am charmed to hear such an account, and yet Miss Darnall spoke of her just now with a certain reservation. When did you ever hear Aunt Dora speak of anyone or anything without a certain reservation? But, Gracie, with such a mother and such a father you ought to be supremely happy.' "'Grace blushed and looked up at him shyly. "'Don't you know, Colonel, that there comes a time in every girl's life "'when even father and mother are not quite all the world to her?' "'I understand,' said Weldon Stukely. "'There is a lover in the case.' "'The very sound of the word, blurted out point-blank in the soldier's hearty voice, "'seemed to appall Grace Darnall. "'She glanced at the window. "'Not one word, not one breath,' she whispered, "'clasping her hands entreatingly. "'It is a secret. "'Nobody knows. "'My father would never forgive. "'Hark, there is the carriage, and I must rush off to dress for dinner.' "'She was gone before he could say another word.' he went out after her and met sir Allen and his wife in the hall sir Allen had retired from the army ten years ago upon the death of his father from whom he inherited Darnall manor and half a dozen of the best farms in the vale of the white horse he had retired invalided and he was slightly lame now from the effect of a bullet in cobble weldon stukeley and he had been together at eton as brother officers had fought side by side in crimea and had borne the heat and burden of the indian mutiny they had been comrades and friends in the golden days of youth and they loved each other like brothers Their meeting was full of quiet tenderness, undemonstrative, as became to Englishmen. "'Weldon, my wife,' said Sir Alan, as the colonel turned to greet Lady Darnall. She was a beautiful woman, in the prime of womanhood, just eleven years Sir Alan's junior. The tall, graceful figure, the finely cut features, low broad bow and dark grey eyes, had a look of quiet dignity which well became the mistress of Darnall Manor. "'Not a woman, this, for the county to cut,' thought Weldon stukely. "'Not a woman to awaken suspicion in the minds of the most punctilious of village rectors, or the most prejudiced of squires.' She looked like a woman born to command homage, to inspire affection, an ideal wife and mother. She was simply dressed, more plainly than women of her station are wont to dress upon public occasions, but the finely moulded figure, the beautiful face, gave importance to the black fullard gown and neat little black chip bonnet. People at Darnall had an idea that everything Lady Darnall wore came direct from Paris, and that this simple attire of hers was more costly than other people's finery. "'Catch a woman of that stamp saving her husband's money,' they said to each other over their afternoon teacups." Nobody had ever explained what particular stamp or character of person was meant by this vague phrase, but it was an understood thing that Sir Alan Darnall had married a nobody, and that it was the nature of things he should come to rue his marriage. The county had not been taken into Sir Alan's confidence when he married, the favours of the county had not been solicited for the new firm, and the county therefore was of one opinion expressed freely among the feminine portion of the community. "'There is evidently something,' said the county. "'It will all come out before long,' said the county. Every one was sorry, laboriously sorry, for Sir Alan, all the more so because Sir Alan persisted in not being sorry for himself. He went up and down the village, beaming with content. His voice was the cheeriest in the hunting-field. He was in excellent spirits at quarter-sessions, and inclined to let offenders off lightly, from very joyous of heart. "'Why should we be hard upon these poor devils?' he would plead. "'Their lives are so miserable, and ours are so happy.' "'There will be some painful scenes at the manor before we are many years older,' said the county. "'Poor Sir Alan is an absolute fool, and a wife of that kind will naturally take advantage of such a husband's weak indulgence.' "'I am told that Mason charges five-and-thirty pounds for a fullard gown like that one she wore on Tuesday,' said the dowager Lady Brumpus. "'The Follard gown was made by a little dressmaker in Pimlico, who had worked for Lady Darnall when she was Mrs. Stewart, but the county had its own sources of information, which were almost always false. "'Welcome to the manor,' said Sir Alan's wife, with her hand in the colonel's. "'I hope you are going to stay with us for a long time.' "'I hope he is going to stay with us till he finds a snug little place of his own within a couple of miles, and that he will settle down here for the rest of his life,' said Sir Alan.' In one of his latest letters the colonel had talked of wanting to buy a place near his friends. His period of service was over, had been extended to the uttermost limit by a special privilege, but that limit was passed, and the stalwart soldier in the prime of manhood had to lay aside his sword or turn it into a ploughshare. "'Yes, Alan, I mean to settle near you, if I can, and to look after my goddaughter. That is about the only business I can find in life henceforward.' "'Unless you follow my example,' said Sir Alan cheerily. Lady Darnall had left them.' Sir Alan conducted his old chum to the rooms that had been prepared for him, bedroom, dressing-room, and study, three of the prettiest rooms in the spacious old house, a study with a bow-window overlooking the pastoral side of the park, where Lady Darnall's particular herd of Jersey cows browsed peacefully in the low western light, that's locked deep in the rich grasses of the late summer. The bow-window had been broken out thirty years before, and was considered a blot, from the architectural point of view, but it made to that cosy little study the nicest room in the house. End of chapter one